the book of Jude, uh, verse 24 through 25, we've now come to the end of our study of this small but very powerful book. And if you're um, uh, new here this morning, if it's your first time to visit with us, then we welcome you. And uh, every one of our um, uh, messages is verse by verse. We start at verse 1 in a particular book and work our way all the way through. So we've come to the end of the study of this book, and God willing, we'll start in uh, the book of Titus next Sunday. Uh, In the book of Jude, we've learned about counterfeit pastors who crept into the church of Christ and corrupted it. In the book of Titus, it will go hand in hand with the book of Jude, and we'll learn about true pastors who have been placed in the church, not crept into the church, but divinely placed in the church by the Holy Spirit of God. But we've come to the end of our study, and he's been giving us, Jude has pulled no punches when he's come to describing these false teachers who slipped into our churches, who've counterfeited and corrupted uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while counterfeit Christians have been separating themselves from the faith, and will continue to do so, Jude says, throughout Uh, the church age, uh, I have to say that uh, Jude told the true believers that we need to be building ourselves up in the faith and sharing the good news of Christ in spite of it so that others may be saved. The damage caused by these creepy clergy, as we've titled them, is very great. No doubt. I've seen a lot of the damage myself. The trouble they've caused in the church has been very disruptive to our mission. The false doctrines they teach are damning people to hell, causing many professing Christians to fall away. But what I want you to see this morning is that in Jude's final words to the church, he doesn't end with words of doom and gloom. <laughs> He doesn't end his epistle with words of defeat. He ends them with words of victory and celebration. Here's the truth. And I want you to mark this down in your hearts this morning. False teachers can draw goats away from Jesus' sheep. But they can never draw Jesus' sheep away from Jesus. I'm going to repeat that again. False teachers... Who slip into the church of Jesus Christ. They can draw goats. Away from Jesus sheep. But they can never draw Jesus sheep. Away from Jesus. When speaking about creepy clergy. Jesus himself. In the gospel of John. Chapter 10 verse 4 and 5. Assured us. That Christians will follow his voice. But they will never be led away from him. By a false pastor. Jesus said, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. That means he leads them, walks out ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Listen to what Jesus said, and a stranger will they not follow. Boy, that's assuring, isn't it? But will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. So when Jesus sends his sheep out to feed them in the green grass of the scriptures, He walks ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they recognize the truth when they hear it. 
Man, I tell you, if you come to this church this morning and you hear the truth being taught out of God's word, God's, if, if the Holy Spirit of God is in you, the spirit in you is going to recognize the spirit in the scriptures. And it's going to say amen to them, just like it did right then through Brother Doug. And it's going to collaborate together and you're going to recognize it. But if I got up here and I started teaching something that was in the Bible and I started trying to lead you away from the cross of Christ, the true child of God said, oh, not me. <laughs> I'm not going there. I'm leaving that fella if he's going to lead me away from the Lord Jesus Christ. So once again, the creepy clergy can only draw unbelievers away from true believers. You see, the work of the creepy clergy, it really purifies the church in the end. You see how that works? It draws unbelievers away from true believers, but it can never draw believers away from Christ. So false teachers can't destroy the church. They can only test the church and in the end purify it by drawing the hypocrites out. Jude has been warning us about counterfeit Christians who will fall away from the faith that they've never believed. But he closes his epistle here celebrating the fact that the believer in Christ will never fall away from Jesus. Will never fall out of his faith in Christ. And giving God all the praise and glory for this in verse 24. Look there with me now. Jude says, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Take your pens and underscore the word him. <laughs> now underscore the word able. Underscore the word keep. Now the word falling. And then go back to that word you and put a big circle around it. You. You see the position that you are in. Versus the position that Christ is in. I want us to focus on that word able for a moment. God is the only person who is able to keep you from falling. In this verse, God is the one who's being praised. Because God is the one that's keeping us from falling. God is the one Keeping, and we are the ones who are being kept. Man, I hate speaking to troubled Christians. I feel so sorry for them when they keep thinking, well, I've got to keep doing this. I've got to keep doing the other. I've got to keep working and trying so I can stay saved. And they're miserable or they're proud, one or the other. They're either miserable because they know they're sinners and they're wondering if they're going to make it, or they're so stinking proud like the Pharisees. They say man I'm good enough. There's no way I'm going to miss heaven. And both are wrong. Listen to how the apostle Peter praises God. For the very same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 3 through 5. In 1 Peter 1 3 through 5. Jesus. I'm sorry Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. Unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. And that fadeth not away. Reserved in heaven for you. Who are kept. By the power of God. Not your power. Not my power. Not the church's power. But we are kept 
by the power of God, Peter said, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept by the power of God through our faith. Through the faith God gives us to trust in Jesus as our Savior. The Savior came from God. The faith to believe in Him came from God. (laughs) And the power to continue to believe on Him comes from God. We keep ourselves in the love of God because we are kept by the power of God through faith. Never think that the burden to continue to believe on Jesus rests on you. You are not able to keep yourself from falling away from Jesus. You're not. But God is. So rest in Jesus' work for you on the cross. And rest in God's work in you to keep you from falling away from the Savior in whom you've placed your hope for eternal life. Now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling, Jude said, look back in your text, and to present you, say it with me, faultless. Oh, that's a good word, isn't it? Faultless. How many of y'all here are without fault this morning? In Jesus, how many of you are without fault this morning? Isn't that good? (laughs) There are two things that Jude is praising God for in this verse. He's praising God because, first, he's able to keep you. And then he's praising God that he's able to present you. God keeps us from falling away from Jesus for this purpose. For the purpose that he might present us. God keeps us from falling away from Christ that he might present us faultless. The Greek word translated present here, it literally means to stand us somewhere. I couldn't help but think about when God put Adam in the garden that he created. He just, Adam didn't put himself there. He didn't do a Christopher Columbus and go sailing looking for a place and said, ah, I call this The Garden of Eden didn't happen. God planted the garden and the Bible says then God took the man and put him in the garden. And in the same way, God is going to put us, he's going to present us, and uh, he's going to establish us, as the Greek word means, in a particular place where we will be faultless. God's ability to present you faultless has been invested in the gospel message. That's where that power is held. The Bible says the gospel, the Apostle Paul said, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. When we look honestly at ourselves, we are painfully aware of our numerous faults, aren't we? Boy, I've got a bunch of them. I was talking to a co-worker this week. He says, I'm so tired of my sin I'm so grieved with this world. I just want to go see Jesus. Jude says God is able to present us faultless. We are not able. We're full of faults. We are are not without fault in ourselves. We are sinners. But God is able to present us faultless to the redemption of his son. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 18 and 19. If you're taking notes. 
First Peter 1, 18 through 19 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of, listen closely now, as of a lamb without blemish. Now, and without spot, Peter said. Now, listen, remember in the Old Testament, Anytime they would take a lamb and they would present that lamb as an offering, there was always a prequalification for that lamb. Couldn't have any spot or blemish on it, right? If it had some little scar, if it had some place for some parasite or something it had gotten into or whatever it was, something marred on it, couldn't be, couldn't be taken at all. It had to be rejected. Because it wasn't acceptable to be offered to God. See, that's the whole thing. Jude's talking about the ability of God to be able to present us. That means stand us before God. We'll get into that in just a moment. And the only way that we can stand before God and be presented to him, Brother Doug, is to be faultless. That Greek word... (laughs) That's used here by Peter that says without spot and without blemish. Talking about how we were redeemed by a lamb that's without spot. That's the same Greek word translated faultless here in the book of Jude. So what Jude is really saying. And, and sometimes I wish the translators. Because the King James translators. You may have had a different translator working on the book of Jude. Than you had over here on, on uh, Peter's epistles or something. But, but it would be nice. And this is where a pastor has to come in and explain these things. That really what Jude is saying is this. God is able to present you without spot and without blemish. Why? Where is that ability? The gospel is the power of God and the salvation. The ability for you and I to stand without spot before God... Rest in the fact that Jesus stood with spot before God in our place. The fact that we were redeemed by a lamb without spot. Gives us the ability to stand before God as that lamb without spot. Who died for us. Imputation. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is faultless. Therefore, the people he represents are faultless. On the cross, Jesus Jesus was presented to God. He stood before God. Uh, As Jude said, he's able to present you. On the cross, Jesus was presented to God with our faults so that we could be presented to God without them. Jesus was presented to God in our faultiness so that we could be presented to God in Jesus' faultlessness. Does that make sense? And this faultless presentation will be made, look back in your text, before the presence of His glory. In every account of the Bible that I can think of, When a man stands in the presence of God's glory, he becomes painfully aware of the magnitude of his faults. 
when the Apostle John saw Jesus in his glory in the book of the Revelation, John said, quote, I fell at his feet as dead. When Isaiah the prophet saw the Lord in his glory, he said, quote, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Moses asked to see the glory of God, the Lord told him in Exodus 33, 20, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. But through the power of the gospel, God is able to take sinners like us and stand us before the presence of his glory. And in the Greek, that means directly in front of his glory. Face to face. God and man, that's the power of the gospel. And when we shall stand there before His glory, we shall stand there faultless like Him in the righteousness of His Son who lived and died for us. If Jesus can be raised from the dead and set at the right hand of God to represent us, then we can stand in the presence of God as Jesus in His merit. When it comes time for us to stand before our Creator, we're not going to shrink back from Him in the shame of our sin, but we're going to stand before Him, look back in your text, with exceeding joy. Exceeding joy. When I think about standing in God's presence now, it makes me a little afraid. Not afraid in the sense that I'm afraid of not going to heaven. But how I am. Every pastor. I guess every pastor. I saw someone talking about on uh, social media the other day. Every pastor's nightmare. I don't know if Brother Shepard's ever ever had. uh, He's not quite as unclean lips as I am and undone as I am. But... uh, Pretty much every pastor at some time in his ministry will have a dream where he's about to get up and preach. I did the other day. Brother Rick, I dreamt that I was about to get up and preach with a large crowd and I had a pair of sandals, flip-flops on with no socks. That's no joke. And I'm like, oh my goodness. What are they going to think when I get up there in a pair of flip-flops walking around preaching? It's embarrassing. Brother, have you ever had a dream, anything like that? Okay, undergarments missing. I've had dreams sort of like that too. I just wasn't going to mention them. But there's been more than flip-flops. But here's the thing. Every preacher has that. Now you think what it'd be like not to stand improperly dressed before your peers, but to stand improperly dressed with an improper righteousness for the holy God of all creation. I shrink back to think of it. I'd rather wear the flip-flops any day in front of you. But here, 
Jude says that when we stand before God through the power of the gospel, we shall do so with exceeding joy. Today we stand in a fallen world in the sorrow of our sins. Our hearts ache at the war, the disease, the inflation, all caused by sin, the family conflicts, the political unrest, and the death of our loved ones. As Christians, we're hated by wicked people. They hate us. Don't ever mistake that. And we have great sorrow for those who we love, who do not know Christ. And we grieve over our own sins. But when it comes time for us to stand before our God, we're going to do so with exceeding joy. You know why? Because through the gospel, all of our imperfections will be removed, will be made like Christ, and will finally stand in the loving presence of the one who first breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life. We were made to know and love our Creator. And when we stand before Him, we shall finally be whole, and our joy shall finally be full. Psalm 16 verse 11 says to God, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In Thy presence is fullness of joy. At Thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. On our very best day here on this earth. On the most happiest, exciting day of our lives. We only experience a pathetic and measured sense of joy. Because our sin and distance from God hinders us from experiencing the fullness of the joy we were created to experience. But when we finally stand before God with all of our sin removed, with no barriers impeding our view of God, our knowledge of God, our nearness to God, we shall have exceeding joy that we've never experienced that I can't even describe to you and it'll never end. And this is why Jude extends his praise, look in verse 25, to the only wise God, who in His wisdom, His wisdom alone, was able to remain just and holy, yet still able to justify the ungodly through the atonement of Christ. Only God was wise enough to devise a plan like that. Let me tell you, I've studied about every religion I could get my hands on. And the Christian religion stands out from every other religion in this world. If you let man invent a religion, I'm going to tell you what you're going to get. You're going to come up with a list of rules that you have to keep. And by which you can only hope to be accepted by whatever deity it is that you worship or deities. Man invents religion. He invents a complicated and colorful religious system that will cause him to excel in the eyes of his fellow man, but will leave him to die in his sinfulness. Choose whatever religion you like in this world. And you work your way up that religious ladder as high as you possibly can. Once you attain your highest rank, you will still be 
faulty. You will still not be without fault. Only Jesus can take faulty people and present them faultless before God. That's the only religion that can do that. Not by pretending like they've never sinned, but by imputing the sinlessness of Christ to the guilty party. That's the wisdom of God. And that's why He alone is, look back in your text, our Savior. The word Savior here means someone who delivers. Picture a person in a building that's on fire. They've passed out from the smoke and the heat. They're trapped on a high-rise building. There's no way they can deliver themselves. That's us. The only reason we need a Savior, a Deliverer, is because we can't escape the coming fire. (laughs) If we could, we wouldn't need a Deliverer. We'd need a Helper, right? We need someone we could kind of put our arm around their shoulder and He would help us out as we walked out together. That's not the Gospel. That's not what man needs. Man is helpless to make himself faultless. So God doesn't give us a Helper. He gives us A Savior. A Savior who delivers us from our enemy, the devil, and from the terrible consequences of our sin. Jude said, God is our Savior. In religion, man works to improve himself until he's acceptable to God. In Christianity, man is a sinner and God must come down and deliver him from his sin. The concept of salvation is peculiar to Christianity. The concept of needing a savior, a deliverer, is peculiar to Christianity. God is the one who does the saving. We are the ones who are being saved. And this salvation is accomplished by God. All three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Bible, Jesus said, God so loved the world, the Father loved the world. He gave His only begotten Son. God's the Savior. But in Luke chapter 2, the Bible says, For unto you this day in the city of David is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christ is the Savior. But in Luke one thirty-five, the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is our Savior. So, Jude says, to our God, who alone is wise and able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before Him and our Savior Jesus Christ, look back in your text, to Him be glory and majesty. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God our Savior receives glory and majesty. And this basically means that when we are delivered from our sin through faith in Jesus Christ, God gets all the glory. And God alone is magnified in the eyes of His creation. We have nothing we can boast about. Not of works, Paul said, lest any man should boast. And the glory and majesty that God receives by saving us from our bondage to sin. It was beautifully foreshadowed for us when God delivered Israel from their bondage to Egypt. In Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 8. Moses told Israel. 
The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. In other words, God didn't choose you because of something about you. He says, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you. And because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers. That the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. And redeemed you. Out of the house of bondmen. From the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. And let me tell you something this morning. God didn't look at his church and think, oh, look how powerful, look how good they are. Look at, oh, no, no, no. But because of his love, I'm going to use the words of Moses to Israel. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, because the Bible says, uh, whoever believes in Christ is the seed of Abraham. Because God loved you and because God was going to keep his word that he gave us in the gospel message. The Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from your sin. Their salvation was accomplished by the power of God on account of the love of God. So when they were freed from Egypt, all the glory and majesty went to God. Jude said, not only glory and majesty belongs to God our Savior, but also, look back in your text, dominion and power. Oh, this is what I'm longing for right here. You look at Vladimir Putin, what does he have? He has dominion and power there in that particular part of the world. You look at China, they've got dominion and power. You look at Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, they've got dominion and power. And you think about it, you think, oh, oh, right? But you know what's going to happen one day? The gospel doesn't just take sinners and put them in the presence of God in heaven. That's just the first part of it. The gospel takes the sinless, faultless people that he redeemed in heaven and he puts them back on earth. Don't think that God's going to put a harp and a crown on you and you're going to be kicking up gold dust and walking around on gold in heaven for all eternity. That's not the point. God's going to make this world new again, remove its faults, and you and I are going to experience the Garden of Eden as it's supposed to be. We're going to experience the earth Completely redeemed by the gospel. Not just the sons of men. But all creation the apostle Paul said. Will experience the redemption of the gospel. Wow. So this is why. Jude is describing dominion and power to God. Because through the gospel. God's dominion. Is going to return to earth. God's power is going to return to earth. And it won't be Vladimir Putin or President Xi or President Biden who's ruling the earth in power. It's going to be God ruling the earth through His Son, Jesus Christ. Boy, is it going to be good. History has shown that God is the only one suited to rule His creation. Apart from God, Satan wasn't fit to rule in heaven. Apart from God, Adam wasn't fit to rule on earth. To this day, the human race hasn't figured out how to live in peace with each other. 
And when given the opportunity, if something's right, man will find some way to corrupt the goodness and blessing of God upon a people. We have brought death, sorrow, evil, and pain into a world that once was a paradise. And Christians, as Christians, we acknowledge that our only hope for this world, the only way it can survive and be made right again, is if man once and for all bows the knee to his creator and lets him govern the creation as king of kings and lord of lords. That's what the book of Revelation is about. When God reigns with all dominion and all power in this world, the whole creation is going to rejoice with exceeding joy. So may we ascribe to God and to God alone all glory and majesty and dominion and power. Look back in your text. Both now and ever. Both now while we wait for Him to come. Acknowledging that the dominion and power belong to Him. And then forever once He comes again to rule the world and exercise His power In his kingdom glory. And then the prayer of Christ be fulfilled. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. In earth as it is in heaven. And if that's what you long for. And if Christ is who your hope is in. And that's what you're waiting for. Then say with me. The last word of this book together. Amen. With that we'll close. Aren't you glad you have a Bible that tells you how things are going to be and how they're supposed to be? We've learned all about these creepy clergy. And now, God willing, we'll begin in Titus chapter 1, verse 1, next Sunday. And we'll learn about the clergy that Christ has put into His church. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You so much for Your precious Word. Oh, God, how encouraged and filled and strengthened and fed we are when we open your word in you our pastor our shepherd leads us out of the fold walks ahead of us and we recognize your voice and we follow you and we thank you that the voice of a stranger we will not follow but you are able to keep us from falling And in Christ, present us faultless before your exceeding great glory, which will then yield to us exceeding great joy. And Lord, to you we ascribe all glory and praise and power and dominion. Lord, all the credit goes to you. Thank you for being our deliverer, because we are indeed a people who need to be delivered. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Go before us, I pray now, and lead these precious people for the remainder of this week. Bring us back safely for the next service.